0: Friends, today we're talking about the issue of suffering. I've invited Jeff up here today. Mate, what, what, are some, um, what are some challenges you've faced as a Christian recently?
1: Uh, well, just uh, about eight, eight, nine weeks ago, quite out of the blue and unexpectedly, I was diagnosed with liver cancer. And although my doctor didn't seem to be all that concerned, I sure was. And as a Christian, I thought, Lord, what are you doing? I going to say, I've been a very healthy man all my life. I've never really been to hospital, and suddenly, from far left field, I was diagnosed with cancer. So, I, I, I went to my knees, and I said, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but you do. And would you give me some, some understanding, at least, of where I'm travelling? Yeah. And the Lord brought to mind uh, some verses I had memorised probably 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, um, before I get to that, uh, you gather your family around and, and they sort of say, hmm, we'll pray for you. And you gather your church family around, Stuart and the prayer team and Matthew, and, and they say, we'll uphold you, brother, which is great. And, um, but the Lord brought to mind um, a couple of verses, one of which I'll share with you, which was unusual. It was 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Now, I'm an old King James version, okay? Good on you, brother. KJV, it sounds like, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's KJV. I can see a few people smile. And I thought, Lord, that's weird. In everything give thanks? I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And Lord said, yeah, in everything give thanks. Later on, I came to realise that, okay... It was in the early stages and it was removable by surgery. And for this I can give thanks. But the other half of the verse said, you know, uh, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That Lord, it's your will that I get this? This is weird. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. But God really revealed to me the fact that the sovereignty of God the absolute sovereignty of god so
0: the, the idea god 's in control god 's in control
1: whether I come through this well mm. as I am now mm. or whether he calls me home and and that was probably the biggest thing that i that I understood the sovereignty of God calls the shots, not me, not the surgeon, God calls the shots, and I can give him thanks. Sure, I can stand up here before you today and say, hallelujah, brother, your prayers were successful, God is great, but one day, one day, God will call me home, and although people pray that I'll get better, it'll be God's will that he calls me home, and that's great, because in everything, I can, I can give thanks, for that is the will of God and his sovereignty.
0: Something I, I, I just um, as I hear Jeff speak. Here's the reason I'm, I'm very glad Jeff was willing to get up today. Um, Jeff's, Jeff's a Christian man who's been been a Christian longer than I've been alive. I think uh, I'm glad to say that, aren't I, mate? Yeah. <laughs> Billy
1: Graham Crusade, 1959.
0: 1959. Yeah, right, right. No, I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> what I love about how Jeff has faced this difficult time. Do you hear what he said? I brought to mind a scripture I'd learnt years ago. Some of you women, the uh, ladies went to a, a, a night uh, with Catherine Campbell a little while ago and her advice to you was, fill yourself up with the Bible so you're ready for hard times. And did you hear, that's, that's Jeff's testimony, that's what we've just heard, isn't it? The promises of God sustaining us, Is it, that, that's, that's pretty much where you've, where you've been.
1: have yeah. been. and I have been memorising scripture for 45 years. It's and, dead art, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And I love to yeah. meditate on the word of God. And at the right time, God just brings it up in a big neon sign. I am
0: speaking to you today on the topic of suffering well together. uh, The focus is on doing suffering alongside each other well. The Bible's got a lot to say about that. Um, And we need to be able to do that well. Why? Why this miserable topic? Because unless you die first, you'll suffer in the future. And you will suffer alongside Friends, who it's really their suffering, we're talking about you. You will suffer because they're suffering, and at that moment, it matters a great deal that you've thought about how to respond well. Um, I've had to make this a really focused talk. I'm telling you about one percent of what I'd like to tell you, without exaggerating. Oh man, oh, oh man, what you leave on the cutting room floor on some topics, this this is killing me. What the the limit of what I can tell you, but what that tells you is I've chosen th- some things that I think will. Be be extremely helpful for you. Um, I'd love to see our church characterized by some of the things I've got to say today. Um, I'll just mention quickly, we have a bookshop outside, um, and we have some excellent books on suffering. Um, This book is called Suffering Well. It's about what the sermon's about, and it's longer than I can talk. It's an excellent book. Check it out. As Christians, we should suffer well. Um, A book that's a little bit more personal uh, for, for the guy who wrote it is this book called Hope Beyond Cure. It's about how a guy, a pastor, uh, who had cancer, uh, very, very bad, uh, uh, it's about how he rediscovered the gospel and the hope of the gospel in the midst of that. It's a wonderful book. It's a personal testimony from him. Finally, there's this book called Healed at Last. Um, It is about what the Bible teaches about healing. Uh, It is a stunningly good book. Oh, man. Uh, there, There are lots of books out there. I've seen lots of books on this. This is the book you should read if you're interested in that topic. It's really good. Um, so there's more information. Um, what I'm going to say today is a combination of reading the Bible, con- counselling training, I've got a little bit of that, and some things that I think will be helpful for you from that, and experience. I've experienced suffering, but this isn't all about me. It's actually about how we as a church can respond well. Anyway, as we get into it, how about I pray that this would be a, a profitable time for us. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are not silent on the issue of suffering. We pray today that you would help us to listen really well and to make the most of the very limited time we have to, uh, to, to focus on a few things about how we can suffer well together. Please, Father, help us to be a church that suffers well together when we come across it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I want you to imagine a church. It could be any church. This particular church is a very good church. The Bible is taught faithfully every week. The people genuinely love each other and look out for those who are doing it tough. There's a family that goes to this church, could be any family. Family's been going to the church for a bunch of years. Um, this particular family, my story that I'm making up, is a family of a couple and their seven-year-old son. Their life's been really tough. Um... Their son has lots of difficulties with health and behaviour issues. That's, been, that's, that's consumed a lot of their time for the last few years and their focus and their energy. Dad's job's been difficult on its own terms, leaving that stuff aside. It's been just hard on its own. And, and mum's had significant bouts of depression scattered through those difficult years. But they go to such a wonderful church people know life's hard for them. They pray for them. When they aren't there, they call them up and say, we missed you on Sunday. We hope you're doing okay. They've they've given genuinely good advice during this suffering time. But here's the thing that absolutely nobody in that very good church knows. They have completely dropped the ball on looking after this family. It's sad because they intend well. But over time, that couple has felt more and more alienated from their church family. You see, even when people are around, they feel disconnected from those around them, even people that love them. They feel isolated in their difficulty, and above all, they just can't escape the feeling that nobody really understands what they're going through. That's how they feel. They feel it really acutely. And the reason isn't because it's a bad church. It's a good church. The reason is because in that church, there's a few simple skills of being alongside sufferers well that are in short supply. Galatians 6 verse 2 tells us to carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that you love each other. Actually being able to do that and doing it effectively uh, actually takes some skill. It's not just intention. It's actually pulling off something that's for the good of the people you're trying to help. There are a small number of skills that all of us can work on that will actually help with this a lot, and this is really just counselling 101 stuff that I'm sharing with you because I think everybody in churches should know this because it's just relationship skill stuff. Um, the things I'm going to say here are particularly important to being alongside well, those who are suffering, but it's also just good relationship stuff. Here's a counsellor saying that's worth taking very, very seriously. The hurting heart has no ears. If you're a Christian, I take it you've got good news to share with people who are hurting, right? You know a saviour who offers a new creation free from suffering and death. You know a saviour who's forgiven our sins, who's conquered death itself. We have a loving heavenly father who longs to hear our prayers when we're doing it tough. We've got good things to testify to, to people who are suffering. Here's the first thing we need to realise. When people are in acute pain, they are not in a position to hear what we have to say. It's really important, really basic. They aren't in a place to engage with input from other people at all. Our speech will fall on deaf ears. The hurting heart has no ears. Here's something I've experienced time and time again. It's this question. How could God allow this? Do you know most of the time that's not a question? Most of the time, it's a cry of pain. If you treat it like a question, you respond wrong. Because they're not looking for reason most of the time. I mean, you need to detect it. You need to listen to the emotion of what they're saying and see if that's the case. Rarely is it a question in my experience. Usually, it's one of two things. It's an expression of rebellion against God. Often it's that. Often it's an expression of pain. It's saying, really, it's just saying, this hurts and I can't bear it. The really hard cases, the really hard cases are where it's both of those things at the same time. Rebellion against God and a cry of pain. The hurting heart has no ears. I've got so many things I'd love to say to you, but you aren't in a position to hear it. It's not the time yet. That's the first thing we need to get to help those who are suffering. Here's the thing, though. They've got no ears. You do. <laughs> the person you're talking to who's suffering, you've got ears. The first thing, the first gift a suffering person needs from you is to be alongside them in a fully engaged empathetic way, empathetic listening I'll discuss the empathy bit in a minute but fully engaged you're talking to a person and everything about you is saying you've got my full attention, my body language says I'm looking at you, I'm focused on you, I'm giving you eye contact I'm nodding along, I'm repeating back parts of you that you say, I'm fully engaged with you here's the thing we often get wrong friends James one nineteen it says my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Usually we get it the other way around, I think. That's how I I instinctively get it the other way around. Because we like to talk, we don't like to listen. The thing I'm about to tell you is the most important practical thing I will say today. About helping those alongside Who are suffering. If we get this right as a church, individually and corporately together, I think it will make our church a place where suffering people really can be part of it. If we get it wrong, I think we will hurt suffering people. It's that simple, I believe. I I don't get this instinctively right. I need to remind myself constantly. Here's the point. The first gift we need to give to suffering people is the gift of being heard and of knowing that they've been heard. The first gift we need to give to suffering people is the gift of being heard and knowing that they've been heard. Here's the negative side of it. We need to fight like the plague, the human tendency to turn somebody else's story into a story about ourselves. We need to fight like the plague, the human tendency to turn somebody else's story into a chance to talk about ourselves. As James says, be quick to listen Slow to speak. The, the danger is what I call, it's not original with me, but it's, it's me-too-ism, okay? Me-too-ism. That's what happens when we hear somebody who's suffering. Friends, we are social creatures. We spend a lot of time relating on the basis of shared experience. We, we, we relate on the basis of stories. So if somebody is talking about anything and you've had a similar experience, what do you do? You interrupt them to start telling your story, right? It's a basic human thing. I mean, it, it's bad relating because we're always interrupting each other and nobody gets to finish a story, but when it comes to talking to a person who's suffering, me tooism is absolutely devastating. Here's what happens. A person starts talking, and we interrupt with, Yes, I once had that too, or I know how you feel, and here's what happens to the person who's suffering when we turn the conversation to being about us, start talking about our experience. The first thing is they haven't been heard. We haven't listened to them, and they certainly don't know that we've listened to them, We might walk away thinking we've listened because we're now informed about their difficulty, but they do not see it that way. And and, and that's not good. Here's the second thing, though. We actually often add to their emotional hurt because what have we done? we failed to hear the emotion of what they're saying. They say something, express something very deeply important and hurtful to them, and we trample over it with our own story. We add to their emotional hurt by talking about ourselves. The third thing that often happens is we've implicitly compared our experience to theirs, haven't we? As in, they've got a story, and they're telling me about this thing that's so hard and so difficult, and I've interrupted to talk about me. I've implicitly said, my story is the same as yours. I understand you. Me is what it's all about. And if they're sitting there going, I'm listening to you, and that is nothing like my experience, what you've done is just alienated them completely. You've reinforced you haven't heard me And you have no idea what's going on for me. Do you see how that works? It can be really devastating when people are hurting badly. And the final thing that happens is they feel isolated and alone in their suffering. Friends, do you know what happens when a person tries five times to tell somebody else about their suffering and nobody listens? They know they're going through it alone. Because they just haven't been heard. Nobody's put the effort into listening properly. Nobody understands and they're right to feel that way because nobody's listened. Friends, be quick to listen, slow to speak. The first gift we must give to sufferers is the gift of being heard and knowing that they've been heard. What that means when we engage with another person who's suffering is something has to go through your head. We have to have a particular commitment (laughs) to that kind of conversation and to that relationship at that time. Here's the sort of thing we need to be committed to. You don't have to have all these words, but here's the sort of thing I have to tell myself. The topic of this conversation is entirely this person, their suffering, and their experience. I will not talk about myself. I will maintain focus on them. I will try to understand their situation from their perspective as best as I possibly can. That might seem really simple. All it's saying is this entire thing is all about them. I'm just going to be engaged fully in the topic, which is them. That's the commitment we need to have. I'll I'll give you a personal illustration. I can share this because it's an old story. And um, I don't need to tell you it therapeutically anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like This is something that was hurtful for me once. I can share it with you now because it's in the past um, by quite a way. Um, At the end of high school um, and early university, I had a thing called chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, Chronic fatigue syndrome is an awful thing. It would take too long to explain it to you now adequately so you would understand. All I want to assert is that you don't understand it. You don't understand it. You don't understand my experience of it. Of course you haven't. I haven't told you about it. Here's some of the really horrible things I learned when I had chronic fatigue syndrome. I learned that almost nobody wants to hear about it for more than three sentences. And you can't explain chronic fatigue syndrome in three sentences. Almost nobody wants to hear about it for more than that. Why? Not because they're unkind, but because almost everybody thinks they understand it already. Or at least they think three lines of explanation is adequate, which is not. Here's the other thing that was the most devastating. Far too many people were very eager to equate it to their own experience. Even if it was just a normal experience of getting tired, or getting the flu, far too many people. I couldn't. I, I was staggered by the things people thought they understood my experience because they had the flu. My goodness. It's not that they meant badly; they just didn't know how to listen. You would probably like the, the worst thing about CFLs wasn't the it wasn't the illness. The worst thing was the social isolation that resulted. You'd be around a lot of people, and twice a year you'd come across another person who actually listened to you. That's what it's like being a person with ongoing suffering. If nobody's willing to take the time to listen, because listening takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of work. Let me change the perspective. I, I think this would be very helpful to hear. Here's how it plays out now. Today, somebody it wouldn't be unusual for somebody to come across a person who has chronic fatigue syndrome, and, go, and, and this logic goes off in their head. They go, Matt had chronic fatigue syndrome. He understands this person's experience. He should go talk to them. Friends, do you know what I understand about the experience of another person with chronic fatigue syndrome? Absolutely nothing. Dead serious. Absolutely nothing. How could I? I haven't listened to them yet. And This is the revolution in thinking that we need to have. My experience is different than theirs. If I want to know their experience, I have to sit and listen to them and make the conversation all about them, give them the gift of being heard and knowing they've been heard. I don't know anything about their experience. In fact, here's the thing, I wouldn't even say that I had chronic fatigue syndrome if I was talking to another person who had it. They don't need to hear that. It's me-tooism, it's making a conversation about me, it's implicitly comparing my experience to theirs, that's not helpful. Do, do, Do you see what I'm saying? The conversation is about them. The topic of this conversation is this person, their suffering, their experience. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's a massive change. Now some of you probably say, well Matt, you've had chronic fatigue syndrome, surely you can say a few things to somebody's life who's got it that would be very helpful. Yeah, I, th- I think I can. Um, but it's not the first conversation, <laughs> it's about the third. And I'd only say it if it would be helpful to them because I don't need to talk about it for my sake. Work out what's helpful for them. And the first thing that's helpful for them is being listened to at length and knowing that they've been listened to. Friends, I want to give you a couple of case studies that might help you. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Here's a couple of other examples. Um, Ladies, do you know the most wonderful gift that you can give to a new mother, particularly a first-time one? So weird, me as a man sharing this, but anyway. When she shares with you the story of how she gave birth, let it all be about her. Don't tell your story. Don't even bring yourself up. The conversation's about her and her experience. And what's happened as soon as you bring up your experiences, you've implicitly equated the two. It's me-tooism. It's actually selfish at the end of the day. And what can happen is a lady who really needs to talk about that can talk about it five times and never be heard because nobody set, just made the conversation all about her. It's the most precious gift being heard. Parents, when another parent talks to you about the great difficulty they're having getting their kids to sleep at night please don't respond by telling them what worked for you. One of the biggest frustrations of parents who are really struggling with kids is that instead of listening, everyone showers them with advice that they have already tried. Instead of listening. Listen well. Make the conversation about their experience. As soon as you say, I did this, it's about you. It's, it's not their experience you're talking about anymore. And actually... Our own experience with our own kids tells us absolutely nothing about the experience of other parents with their kids, does it? Surely you have to listen to another parent to hear their experience of their kids. Once we realise that, we'll start listening to each other. Two scenarios. I want you to imagine somebody at church comes up and says this to you. Actually, this is the family, one of, one of the two parents from the opening illustration I gave you, story. Imagine somebody says this to you after church. How do you respond? Honestly, our family has been doing it really tough for years, and I just don't feel like anyone understands. How do you respond? I'm not going to ask responses. I'll go through some responses in a sec. Let me give you some bad answers. What hasn't anybody understood? This is the person who wants to solve the problem, right? Okay, nobody's understood. I'll understand now. Just tell me what I've understood. But what's happened here is, they haven't listened to the emotion of what's being said they've immediately tried to fix the problem they haven't they've skipped the step of listening and communicating that the person's been heard especially the emotion of what's being heard here's a second one i think you should talk to somebody they are aren't they <laughs> i mean they're talking to you you're it listen well I'll uh, just go a slight rant for a minute. Um, we, we live in a society where people think that the solution to absolutely everything is professional counselling or medication. Uh, it's not. Professional counselling and medication are wonderful things in the right cases. But what a lot of people actually get from counselling is simply that someone, for the very first time, listen to their difficulty in a fully engaged way. That's it. I think we'd sincerely sincerely believe we'd need less less counsellors if we did a better job of listening to each other in an engaged way. I'm sorry to hear that. It's a better response. It's actually a not very good one though. Here's why. Surprising, very important though. You've actually made a statement about your feelings. I'm sorry to hear that. This is the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is you're alongside me and you've told me you're feeling some stuff. I tell you my feelings in response to you. Sympathy is my feelings alongside you. I feel sorry to hear that. Actually, empathy is labelling the sufferer's own feelings. This sounds like it's over the top. I'll tell you why it's important in a minute. Uh, Here's a really good response. Wow, that sucks. That is a good response. Assuming you say it sincerely and it's, it's authentic and, and that kind sort of thing. Why is it a good response? Because it shows you've heard the emotion of what they said. It's a wonderful response. Here's another good response. That sounds really hard. Where's the word I in these responses? It, it, it's, it's not there. Because the conversation's about the person who's suffering. Do you see the difference? That sounds really hard. Labelling their emotions. You might think that sounds real nitpicky. Here's why it's not nitpicky. I'll give you an example. Um, a friend of mine, um, a few years ago, his wife died of cancer. Um, one of my best mates from school. Um, she battled it a couple of years. Christian people, they faced this difficulty extremely well. A lot of faith, hope in the gospel. Um, one of the things he said to me during that whole horrible ordeal was, um, Matt, when friends and church family talk to me, I feel like more often than not, I end up giving them counselling and support than the other way around. How did that happen in a good church? The way it happened in a good church, friends, isn't because people are being selfish. It's because lovely Christian people walked up to him and began lots of sentences with the word I. That's it. Because as soon as you say I, the subject of the conversation is you and your response and you start talking about that and he ends up talking about their response and helping them through it. Talk about him, you, that. Second example, this is really important, friends. Think through the example real care- carefully. The doctor says, "I need to have open heart surgery. It'll be this month." I'm feeling really scared about it, friends. What's the most important thing that that person has just said to you? Sorry, I feel scared. That is the mo- the, the situations irrelevant. relevant. I mean, it's not relevant. You know what I'm saying? Like the situation, open heart surgery could be anything. I feel scared. Focus on that. They've told you how they feel. So how are you going to respond? Well, hopefully not. Try to relax. I had that surgery a year ago and the doctors really are very good now. me bad, really harsh, emotionless clinical response to a person who's just said they're scared. Do you see the difference? Saying I. Here's one that'll shock you. Can I pray for you? This is a bad response. Um, because it shouldn't be the first response. It's a good response later on. It's step five, it's not step one. Can I pray for you? Well, maybe after you listen and show me that you've heard, that might be appropriate. It shouldn't be the first thing we say. We need to listen first. Here's a good, authentic response. Mate, that sounds like a horrible place to be. I'm not telling you what words to say, but see the key things, it doesn't have the word I in it, it's authentic response to emotion that they're feeling, and it labels their situation, not how you feel about it. Give people the gift of being heard and knowing that they've been heard. Now I think if we we're a church that can do that well, it'll utterly change how we face people who are, help people who are suffering. It's really, really important. Here's, very quickly, here's two things though. You need to embrace discomfort. Because as soon as we talk about having a conversation about this, you feel anxious and your feelings will lead you to say something silly to resolve the feeling of tension. You need to embrace discomfort. This will be an uncomfortable conversation. And I'm okay to sit in that discomfort along this person's side, this person who's suffering. Very important. The other thing you need to embrace is powerlessness. Because otherwise you'll try to solve it straight away and they feel powerless So if you're going to hear them well, you need to be powerless alongside them, at least at first. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Being slow to speak means you should talk eventually, doesn't it? Before you speak, you should be very clear what you want for the person, just in general terms. Um, I'm a Christian. I am trying very hard to get the Bible to shape what I want for other people because that's what love is. Love is wanting what's best for people. The Bible tells me what's best for people. Here's my priorities for sufferers, which come from the Bible. I think this is the right order. My first hope for everybody is that they would put their faith in Jesus and eagerly hope for his coming kingdom. Gosh, I, I want that for everybody. And I want that for somebody who's suffering. It might not be the first thing I talk about it, but it's the biggest thing I want for them. The second thing I want, and this might shock you, as a Christian, I want them to suffer well. And if relevant, I want them to die well. Does that sound shocking? I want them to face suffering and death with faith in the Lord Jesus and confidence that they're standing before God. Because that's what it's about. That's the difference that it makes. You heard the comfort that Jeff got from God's word through suffering. Well, that's what I want for them. The third thing I want is I do, I really do want them to be healed and I really do want solutions for them in the present, but it really is the third priority. I deeply want it for them, but I want those other things a whole lot more. I think it's important to get those priorities around. Now, I I can't say everything. Here's a couple of quick tips for talking to someone facing hard times. First one, talk about God, not just stuff. Now, a lot of you are going to be terrified talking about God to somebody who's suffering. Okay, I am too. Um, Here's a cheat. You want to cheat? Something that makes it easier? Open the Bible together. Choose a Bible passage when you meet up with them, if, assuming he's another Christian, it's fa- fairly easy to do. Choose a Bible passage that you think will be helpful for them. Meet up with them, say, I think it will be helpful if we read this together. Open it up, and suddenly you're not the guru who has to provide all the spiritual input. It's, we're looking at this Bible passage together and, and engaging with it together, and suddenly we're having quality God talk, faith talk without me being, having, having to drive it in that way. The second thing I want to say is pray with them well. Pray with them well. What I mean by praying with them well is pray earnestly for what they want and pray Christianly. Pray earnestly for what they want. Um, I've noticed a lot of time when people pray with those who are suffering, we pray like this. We just babble long phrases. Oh God, if it's your will, I hope maybe that, you know, hopefully, thankfully, you might heal this person. You wouldn't pray like that for yourself if you were really suffering. You just cry out to God to heal you. Do it for them. Show when you pray that you've heard them and heard the emotion of what they want. And pray Christianly, pray for their faith in Jesus. Here's a good prayer. Heavenly Father, my brother here is really hurting a lot. This illness is taking its toll on him in a big way and he's finding it hard to trust in you through it. We ask you please that you would heal him. Please help him to hold firm to Jesus and long for your kingdom. Amen. That's an earnest prayer that's heard what they want and prayed for it earnestly alongside them. And it's a Christian prayer because it has God's priorities in mind. Pray earnestly for what they want, pray Christianly. Uh, Third thing is, suggest advice and solutions, but take a great deal of care as you do so. The hurting heart has no ears. Make sure they're not hurting acutely when you try to talk. The other thing I'd just say in general is, please realize that it costs you very little to talk into another person's life who's suffering it could cost them an awful lot to listen to you. Just keep that in mind as you speak. I'm going to shift gear here. I've asked a few people for questions on Facebook about what they wanted to hear about. Everybody wanted to hear about what the answer is to the problem of evil. The first thing I want you to know about why there's suffering and evil in the world is there are both deep and shallow answers to that question. And it's important to realize that. Um, you can describe the Bible's teaching on suffering as shallow enough that children can wade in, in it, but it's also deep enough that elephants have to swim. You heard that before? It's really important. And if you aren't happy with what it feels like in the shallow end, you'll never be satisfied with the deep end. You, the, the answer is the same. The answer the problem of suffering is an answer that children can understand. Uh, I could give you more detail, but it would really be around the, this kind of outline. Friends, Genesis 3 says that mankind rebelled against God and in judgment upon us, God cursed us, cursed the world because we're in rebellion against him and so suddenly we're in a world of sickness, death, depression, disabilities, accidents, injustice and disasters because that's what it looks like to be alienated from your creator. We need to take Genesis 3 seriously. It's the first thing. Rich Westerners are surprised by suffering when it happens because we, 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 it kind of intrudes in our lives and we go, this doesn't belong. Well, actually, it does belong. That's what life looks like. That's what the real, real world looks like. We take Genesis 3 seriously. We shouldn't be shocked by the curse when we experience it. Now, Psalm 8, our first Bible reading, gives a very different picture, doesn't it? Psalm 8, it's, it's, it's a wonderful psalm. It's a very important one. And it talks about how exalted humankind is above, um, uh, above the earth. Just let me read, read it to you and, uh, and listen to this. The, the psalmist sings, says, um, When I consider, God, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. He put everything under their feet, all herds and flocks and all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish of the sea that swim the paths of the seas. Man has a special exalted place in God's creation, even after the curse. The difficulty is you'll read that and go, okay, I'm exalted over creation. We're rulers of the world. Gosh, it doesn't feel like it right now. Yeah, it doesn't always feel like that. It isn't always what we see human suffering actually gets in the way of that. So Jesus came. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins to undo the curse on creation and upon us. He came to save us from our sins so that we could be part of a new creation free of the curse, free of sin, suffering and death. Now friends, here's what I'd love to shape your heart. The Christian faith is profoundly future-oriented. Everything we have is in the future. That's what Jesus promises us for the future. We await a saviour in the future. We await salvation in the future. We await God's solution to the problem of suffering and evil in the future because God's answered it. His son has beat suffering and death and evil and is giving us a new creation to be part of. Now, Psalm 8, it doesn't sound like it takes that into account. Well, If you've got a Bible, you're very quick. Turn to Hebrews 2 and it actually takes that up. I don't feel like we're ruling over mankind when I'm, I'm, I'm suffering. I'm suffering here. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 and, and down through that a bit. It says, it's, hear, the, hear the shift from the world to the world to come because it's future-oriented. Uh, it's not the angels that God subjected the world to come about which we're speaking, but there's a place in the Bible where someone's testified, Psalm 8, "'What is mankind that you're mindful of them, "'a son of man that you care for him? "'You made him a little lower than the angels. "'You crowned them with glory and honour "'and put everything under their feet.'" In putting them everything under them, God left nothing that's not subject to them. And I love this, this line here. Listen to it. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. We don't see psalm made perfectly come about. What do we see? Verse 9, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower. The angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone we don't often see humanity winning over suffering and death in this life, but we do see Jesus. Friends, here's how you face suffering well get into the habit of asking better questions. The Christian question about suffering isn't why, the Christian question about suffering is when. When. It's a topic the Bible brings up over and over again. In in general, we know why. Because we live under the curse. That's why suffering and death are part of the world. But Jesus came to save us. And so we look to the future for God's answer. In in that Healed at Last book, there's a wonderful story that I think illustrates this. Um, There's a guy, a friend of the author, who who goes to his church. Uh, His name's Steve. Steve's profoundly disabled, has been since birth. Can't control his arms very well. His speech is difficult to understand, and he has limited vocabulary. He's now in his 50s, still requires assistance to eat, drink, bathe, dress, toilet, so on, so on. He's got a tough, tough life. He is a joyful, enthusiastic believer in the Lord Jesus, though. This man, as I read it, I realized this man understands the answer to the problem of evil better than most people I know. Here's why I can say that. Let me read a quote from the book talking about preaching in this church where this guy's there. He says, In our church, it's impossible to preach about the return of Jesus or the great resurrection day or even death without being interrupted by the man in the front who's madly flailing his arms around and shouting with excitement, No more chair! He's understood. That's the Christian answer to suffering and death. No more chair. We wait for the new creation when Jesus will have conquered it all. The Christian question isn't why. Why? The Christian answer, question, sorry, is when? And we know the answer. See, why is just a question the Bible doesn't give us heaps of information about? There's some other things I could talk about, but the problem is so often we ask it, and we're really just expressing our pain, we're expressing a rebellion, and it leads us to a place where we rebel against God and question God. Far better question. When? It means we so often allow what we don't know about God's plans to rob us of what we do. When leads us to what we do know. It leads to Christian faith looking to Jesus. It leads to hope for his kingdom. It leads to Christian prayers. Come, Lord Jesus. It leads to Christian priorities for our neighbours that they would turn to Jesus. It leads to Christian thanksgiving for the inexpressible generosity he's shown us for salvation instead of damning God because he's made us suffer, which is where the why question so often leads. Get in the habit of asking better questions when? That's how Christians face suffering well, because we know why. Broadly enough, God's being able to enabled us through Jesus to ask, "When, O oh Lord, when will You come again to make that come about?" Very quickly, um, I've been given a couple of questions that I should answer because people have asked me them, and they're very important. Um, how can I be helpful to non-Christian friends and family who are suffering? Um, this is a really hard answer, a question. I, I don't have any golden bullets. The general answer is very straightforward, though. Um, it's printed on our poster over here. How do you help people who are suffering? Connect, care, communicate, and commit. Uh, generally, that—that—that's—that's that's what it is. Um, you're connected with them. I take it because you're friends with them. Care is very, very important because the hurting heart has no ears. Uh, they need the gift of being heard and knowing that they've been heard. Listening well is the best context for speaking. You need to do it for the long haul. Um, they have signed up for this suffering for the long haul against their will, so you need to be signed up to sit beside them for the long haul too, which shows you care, it shows you hearing. Friends, I have two fears for this kind of situation where a person doesn't trust Jesus and they're suffering, and we, 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 we want to do the best thing we can. My two fears are that we'll talk about Jesus too quickly, we're not in a place to hear about it, about him. The other fear is that we'll never talk about Jesus because we don't want to upset them. Um, We need to have the firm conviction the most loving thing you can do for another person is tell them the gospel. We just need to be convinced about that because they won't be convinced and if we aren't convinced about that we won't tell the gospel even if they're on their deathbed because we'll upset them. So, uh, scenario: If I had a non-Christian friend in advanced-stage cancer in a hospital bed who's dying, assuming they like me coming, I'm going to be there every day for a week. I'm going to listen to them, whatever they want to say. I'm not going to turn the, the conversation to Christianity or anything. Actually, I'm going to listen to them for a week. Um, and if they want to talk about other things, I'll talk about it. But I don't need to advance the conversation. Pick a day a week later, assuming it's a good opportunity, say to them, "I, I, I think." the best thing, friend, that you need to hear is about Jesus, and I'd love to share that with you now if you're willing to hear it. But I've created that context where hopefully they can hear me well, and maybe they'll say no, maybe they'll be upset, but I've got to try, and, and listening well creates the best, best context for that. Um, the other one I just want to mention quickly, how can I answer non-Christians about how a loving God can uh, allow suffering? Um, Contexts everything, why are they asking? There's one of three reasons people are asking this, Um, Three reasons, pain, rebellion and philosophy and only weird people like philosophy. So it's pain or rebellion, Um, usually. I like philosophy. Um, If it's pain, engage with the emotion of what they say. Here's some real challenges though as we talk about it. Um, People want short, simple answers. As soon as they say why, that's a black hole. Don't go there, it's a black hole. It doesn't lead to good places most of the time. I figure the answer is the gospel, So find a way to talk about the gospel. Somebody says to me, how could God allow X to happen? My response is something like this. I don't know why God let X happen specifically. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us that. We'll torture ourselves focusing on that question. However, the Bible says that God sent his son and loved us enough to send his son to die for our sins and free us from suffering to be part of his kingdom. And I can't wait to be there. Or something like that. But you see what's happened? If I start talking about why, why, why and speculate and this sort of thing, we're having this horrible speculative conversation that's a black hole that leads nowhere good. Suddenly I'm talking about Jesus and I'm talking about the gospel and that stands to do them real good. Friends, be slow to speak, quick to listen. That's how we can help each other through suffering. Please pray with me as we do a good job of that. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus, that he has conquered death, sin and suffering and has a kingdom where every tear will be wiped away forever and suffering will be just a memory. Please help us to ask good questions of when and to long for his appearing so we can be part of that kingdom. Please help our faith to be so shaped by that hope we have in the future and please help us to do a good job of listening well to those who are suffering and when we get the opportunity to speak, to tell them about Jesus really well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.